This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 26 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, presented by Equestrian Life. Exclusive coverage of the world of dressage. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life. They can be found at equestrianlife.com and Kentucky Performance Products. They're online at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Lisa Wilcox. You're listening to the Dressage Radio Show presented by Equestrian Life. Well, hi, Lisa. How are you this week? Great, Chris. How have you been? I'm doing great. It's been fabulous weather up here in Kentucky. And I know you're down in Florida. You're just used to good weather down there this time of year. Oh, but we're having spectacular weather. It's just (laughs) been really, really nice. We're in the 70s clear, dry, uh, ideal, absolutely ideal. And I think the waves have been finally, they're getting swells. The surfers are out. So I think all the way around, everybody's excited in Florida. Good, good, good weather, honestly. And we're looking forward to a really great season down there once those shows kick in now. And, uh, you know, that everybody's sort of thinking about the winter and, you know, and spending time in Florida and more and more people go down there for the winter season. And, uh, you know, there's so many dressage competitions to choose from down there. I think you can can compete every weekend, can't you, Lisa, once the season starts? Absolutely. And this year is particularly important. Everybody wants to qualify for the World Equestrian Games. So this is going to be a very heated uh, competition. All the way around, uh, I think you'll see very full CDIs, the CDIWs. Um, I know myself, I will definitely try to have a spot on the World Cup this year. It's one of my many goals. But uh, I think you're going to see a lot of new young horses out uh, working their way up the I-2 into the Grand Prix and then finally through all those qualifiers for the uh, WAG. Yeah, it, it'll be exciting. It really will be an exciting year, as you say. Highly competitive. There are so many horses, as you said, that are at that stage where they can move up into Grand Prix now. And we'll be actually talking to Chris Hickey, who's our guest this week on the show. And and as you know, Lisa, he's really into bringing on young horses um, and bringing them up gently through the levels. So uh, we're really talk- looking forward to, to talking to Chris a little bit later on in the show. We, I caught up with him when he was here at a clinic in Kentucky at the weekend, and uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing that conversation with uh, everybody just a little bit later on in the show. And it'll be great information. You know, he's a very experienced rider, and especially with the young horses, and uh, he has brought most of his horses up. So, yeah. And then now, of course, his position there with uh, Hilltop, quite a bit of young stock coming along. So uh, they couldn't have gotten a better rider for that position. Oh, how true. Sure he has a ball picking the gems <laughs> yes. out of the field. I'll take that one and that one. That is the joy of working for a breeding farm. <laughs> and then that's the plenty of time you need to put into bringing them up to Grand Prix, but that's that's a lot of fun when you have good quality. Absolutely. So sure nice, nice position to be in. Yes, absolutely. Terrific. Well, before we get to that, Lisa, we have just a little bit of news this week, just a couple of items. And uh, uh, you'll know that the German Dresser Equestrian Federation has been through under close scrutiny and following their major doping drama in, in the spring of this year. Uh, the selection committee suspended all A and B teams in September, and uh, just this past week, the federation there released a letter in which the new terms were announced. And remarkable absentees are Olympic individual medalists Isabel Werth and Heike Kemmer, as well as former world champion Nadine Kappelmann. Due to a positive doping test, Isabel Werth is suspended by the FEI until December of this year, just a month away before she can resume. And also the German Equestrian Federation banned her from the team until June 2010, so a major impact on their team. And the riders 
uh, just received a letter from the Federation which their position on the 2010 German teams were listed. And the new teams are remarkably smaller than before and the Championship A team only includes the members that competed at the 2009 European Dressage Championships in Windsor. That A-team list is Susan Lebeck on Potomac, Matthias Alexander-Rath with Stern Thaler UNICEF and Triviant, Ellen Schulten-Baumer with Don Arthur S and Monica Teodorescu with Whisper. So uh, quite a different complexion there, Lisa. And you're very familiar with the German teams and the German politics as well. But that's going to really shape uh, what happens next year for WEG, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I am, uh, I'm shocked. You know, there are several other riders out there that I would expect to see. Uh, I, I would love to see their B team list. Unfortunately, we don't have that listed, but a Huberta Schmidt and Ulla Salzgeber that's coming along. A, uh, there's just so many other top riders there that you're, well, and of course, Nadine Kapelman, as you see, we're missing. So I'm interested to see what their thoughts are on this, but I think that this time around they're being exceptionally strict because they're losing the the public support of it. If yes. they don't show a strict maneuver like this, then they're losing television sponsors. And, you know, they're covered during prime time. Mm-hmm. You can sit down in Germany and watch top jumping competitions. Uh, and I think they have to prove themselves or we'll lose, Germany will lose their position there with the sponsors. And they're, they're doing what they think is the best thing or the only thing that they can do. Well, it's and all about so, credibility, isn't it? And not it only do really they, is. they have such a, a standing in the in this sport and in, in internationally that uh, you know, with with what has been happening there over the last year or so, it, it really is about them regaining their credibility on the world stage. And uh, it, that B list that you refer to, it, we, we will we will put a link on our website so you can see both the A list and the B list for those of you who are interested in the German following the German riders and uh, a lot of other names there added to. Uh, but for the sake of brevity, we we just listed the A list right there. But, but but you just looking at that A list tells you the pressure they're under. Indeed, it to does. make themselves credible. In yes. the eye of the public right now in Germany. Absolutely. They are being definitely very much scrutinized. And I recall reading months later about doping cases and the agony it was causing in the industry, where we did not here in America dwell on it. It just put a bad mouth, a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of Germans. And it was in the press for at least half a year after the incident. Yes. Yeah. Or the incidents with the jumping riders in Olympics, at the Olympic Games, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Just well, as you say, you know, it's a lot more prominent, prominent in Europe, and not least of all in Germany, where it does get the attention of the mainstream media, which it doesn't over here, of course. Correct. Correct. So... Well, interesting to watch that. I think uh, the competition is going to be tough next year uh, over here at WEG, and uh, uh, especially at the time while the Germans are suffering in terms of the of of, of those issues. Uh, meanwhile, of course, the Dutch uh, are picking up just one great combination after the other. There. Momentum. They're picking up momentum. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be pretty unstoppable. Yes. But uh, it certainly is. I have heard that Edward Gall is coming to the Masters. Oh, wonderful. Won't that be exciting? Oh, that'd be wonderful. And that's in Florida this winter. Wonderful. Yes. Well, I'll definitely be on the sidelines for that one. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That would be a great uh, crowd uh, builder, wouldn't it? You can imagine, you know, the fans are going to flock to that. That horse is like going to Cirque du Soleil. How does he do that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that is that is going to get even uh, people who have no idea what dressage is about. That is going to get. That's going to be a crowd pleaser. Well, the pressure's on everybody else, though. Then, because once they see Tolitus, they'll think, "Oh, that's the norm for dressage." If they don't normally watch dressage, and they go in and see him perform, and they'll think, "Well, don't they all do this?" 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure they do. Well, we've got to kind of step it up just a hair. There you go. Or, or hopefully he'll raise the bar for, you know, as a matter of fact, the scores will go a little higher for those of us who haven't gotten those. There, there you go. Trusty there you scores. Go. <laughs> he'll lead us out of the mediocres. That he'll raise the raise the tide, and you know what happens when you raise the tide level. You know, everybody, all the boats come up to that t- same tide exactly. level, right? So, also, it, there's right. an expression. Could be that, a very right? positive effect. Yeah, there you go. There's another expression for that, but I couldn't just think of it right then, Lisa. Uh, well, we have one other item of news this week, and that's from the United States Dressage Federation. They'll be presenting their winners of the 2009 GMO Awards during the Board of Governors General Assembly at the 2009 Adequan USDF National Convention and Symposium in Austin, Texas. That takes place December 2nd and 6th. It becomes the part of the, the convention season over here with... Um, conventions everywhere for all the affiliate organizations and so they'll be down there in texas and those awards are given annually to recognize the outstanding gmo newsletter and website layouts and designs the first person experience articles general interest articles and outstanding volunteers at the regional level also included is the recognition of one grant recipient from the Ruth Avanet Memorial Fund that provides financial assistance for deserving individuals to attend the Adequan USDF Annual Convention. There will be a link on our website to see the full list of this year's winners. So that's the news for this week, uh, Lisa, and uh, you're going to tell us and uh, introduce our, our guest in just a moment before we get to that. And we're going to take a short break here for our commercial friends at Equestrian Life. Just so stay tuned and we'll be right back with our guest of the week. It is fantastic to have our friends at Equestrian Life as the title sponsors for the Dressage Radio Show. If you have not been to Equestrian Life yet, you need to go. In addition to being the official social community for the Horse Radio Network, it is one of the fastest growing horse communities on the Internet. It is truly the Facebook for horse people. The goal of EquestrianLife.com is to bring equestrians together and to provide them with the breadth and depth of information and tools they need to learn and connect with other horse lovers who share the same passion. EquestrianLife.com is a fun, inviting website that strives to provide its members with a world-class experience that fosters the expression of all the ways people enjoy their horses and the people who are part of the horse world. EquestrianLife.com's social media platform provides users with cutting-edge applications and tools, such as people in horse profiles, social Q&A, status updates, messaging, photo uploading, groups, comments, blogs, expert high-definition videos, directories, birthday reminders, alerts, messaging, and on and on and on, in addition to their partnership with the Horse Radio Network. This community is designed by horse people for horse people and is filled with educational and entertaining video and audio all about our horses. Ride on over to Equestrian Life today, sign up for free, and tell all of your friends. If you love horses, EquestrianLife.com is the place to be. Well, thanks again to Equestrian Life, our official social network for the Horse Radio Network. Well, Lisa... Our guest this week uh, is is someone that you know well, so I'm going to hand over to you to introduce Chris Hickey. Yes, my absolute pleasure. I'd like to welcome Chris Hickey to our radio show and uh, talk about a great rider. And as we talked about earlier, what a, a, a super person to bring young horses along. And I, I think that's something that we're missing here in America that is one of our major holes, and I think you know he is going to be one of the one of the riders that you're going to be seeing in our young horse championships. You're going to see him in the developing horse championships, and then you're going to see him go right on into Grand Prix with some of these fabulous horses that he's riding at Hilltop. So um, I'm looking very much forward to hearing what he's got to say about what what he's got coming up. Well, I'm joined now by Chris Hickey, your first time on the Dressage Radio Show. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Sure, thank you very much for having me. Well, it's nice to catch up with you at a clinic. I know you do a lot of touring um, around the country, clinics everywhere from Kentucky to Massachusetts and beyond. Yes, I have a, a big group of steady clients that have been with me for a long time uh, from different places like Kansas City, Missouri, 
Lexington, Kentucky, South Carolina, or Charlotte, North Carolina, rather, and Amherst, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, which is where I grew up and where my business was based before I was employed by Hilltop Farm. Right, and yet yeah, we're going to come to that. You're a director of training at, at Hilltop Farm there up in uh, Maryland, uh, Chris. But we also should mention, as I did at the start of the show, you're a Pan Am gold medalist. You're at really at the sort of peak of your career in that respect, competition-wise. So how do you divide your time these days, Chris? Well, the first thing I do is we really try to look at the calendar of the goals of the certain horses or certain clients of that I have. And right now already, here we are in October of 09, or November of 09, and I'm planning now which shows I must do for qualifying for certain events, like the Young Horses, uh, also the Intermediate One Championships and the Grand Prix Championships, and those shows get picked first the, from the qualifications that I must do to have the proper qualifying shows, and that we start the schedule with that. And then I go on in my schedule for clinics and other small, normal horse shows, horse shows that are that are important as well to qualify for regional championships and things. But to first get in those, the calendar, the the big qualification shows for the for the like I said the USEF championships, the Markel Young Horse Championships, the regional championships, and and so on like that. So what do we, will you be doing with Regent, for for example? Regent has been. I have a new Grand Prix horse at Hilltop, and we've. Um, Regent is back. I've handed the reins over to the owner of Regent, and I'm helping her still. I'm very, we're still uh, very much a partnership in this horse, um, and that's very exciting for me to see because this is someone, uh, Brenna Kaczynski, the owner of Regent, who has been the owner of Regent since we we bought him together when he was four. We picked him out when he was a four-year-old, so she had. Just this fall, after riding him for a few months herself, she showed him in her first ever Intermediate One test, and he won that a few times. He's sh- she's shown him two times at Intermediate One, and then in the spring she will come out and, and do I2 with him and then go right into the Grand Prix. It was very important for me that she get a little bit of experience in the FEI ring before she jumps right in and does Grand Prix on on him. So what other horses do you have and what level of competition are they at right now, Chris? I have a super I have a few super horses um, from Hilltop um, that are owned by Hilltop Farm and Jane McElry. I have the uh, Cabana Boy who I like to call him the poster child of American mm-hmm. breeding. He's by one of our Hilltop Farm Steins, Contucci. He was not bred by Hilltop. Um, he was bred by the Langers in Wisconsin, but he was purchased by Hilltop uh, when he was a young horse, and that horse now has competed in the Intermediate One, and he competed at Gladstone in the I-1 Championships this year as a seven-year-old, and then later in the summer in August, he went to Chicago and he won the developing horse division at the Markel Young Horse Championships and that was very very exciting for us and he's a very special horse and uh, it was also wonderful to have to no horse has won the five-year-old six-year-old and the developing horse championships and he won all three of those championships in three six uh, three years in a row so that was very exciting and he again to have that horse that has won that much be an american bred horses uh, is a wonderful thing for american breeders absolutely terrific record so what would he go on and do chris what what um, what are your goals with him our goals with him are for him to progress at the rate that he is comfortable with he's schooling um, every he's schooling started to school Piaf and Passage and the One Tempes and when he is confirmed enough and solid and confident in that those exercises then he will move into the I2 but he will do he competed at Devon this fall 
and he's still only seven. He will be eight next year. So he's really, he's come a very long ways in a, in a short period of time, but that horse has such, such a good brain for the work and, and the work is easy for him and he's happy and he's sound. And of course that is our first, the most important thing for us is that he stays that way and that he continues to be a successful FEI horse for many years to come. But that horse has so much quality. He really could be a, he definitely could be a USET team horse. So whether it's the Pan Am Games next time, I, I really feel like he could be, uh, I really don't want to hold him back for the Pan Am Games, but if the Grand Prix work um, is if I think that that's a little too much for him and we need to back off, then I will back him off and push towards the Pan Ams. We have another new Grand Prix horse that Hilltop purchased this spring. His name is uh, Douglas Hilltop, and he's a very exciting horse for me. He's a gelding. He's very beautiful, a big, elegant bay horse with four white legs. He's a bit hotter of a horse than my many of my other horses have been through the years, and I'm really enjoying that. Um, he's very forward. He loves to do his job. He's got a great work ethic, and he's just wonderful to ride. He's nine years old, and he had competed in Germany this spring. He had done one Grand Prix test, a very green Grand Prix test, before we purchased him, and I feel like we snuck in and bought him we bought him before he was really even on the market so i saw this horse and and really felt like it was a opportunity to buy a young grand prix horse that had a lot had, he has a lot of talent and we're very excited about him and he's shown i've shown him a few times he did grand prix i've gotten a 68 percent a few weeks ago at uh, dressage at lexington uh, lexington Virginia show and that was very exciting for us and there's still lots of room for improvement but he has so many very good qualities that he's a horse that can score very very well in the Grand Prix ring. Well of course we're looking at some incredible scores now in international I mean that 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 gives you even more to work work at to catch up with these guys. So where would you go with him eventually? What's his long-term goals? His long, our long, our goal for this next winter is he will start competing at the CDIs and he will compete in the CDIs in Florida and try our, my goal is for him to get an invitation by the USEF and be, come into the selection trials for the WEG. He will only be 10 years old. Do I, think that he will make the team as a 10-year-old, hmm, that's hard to say. But I think giving, given if we give this horse time to develop in the Grand Prix and he needs more strength, and of course now I'm a new rider, so you add a new rider into that element and a whole different way of life, he gets... A little bit you know, when we purchased him in Germany, he wasn't able to get turned out, and now I'm able to turn him out, and he's really acclimating to his new life and his new his new life at Hilltop, and I'm very very excited about that, and that he continues to get solid in the work and happy in his life. Right. Well, in terms of the, your career, Chris, you know you've been on the Pan Am team now, a reigning gold medalist, but team and individual, as I said earlier. Um, where where do you feel you are personally in your career as a competitor, not so much as a trainer, but as a competitor? I feel like I'm very lucky to have had a lot of horses to bring along. I've had four horses on the USCT developing list that I have that I have trained through developed and I think that's very important for me this is the first horse Douglas Hilltop is the first horse that's a trained horse that I have myself didn't start as a young horse and we there's some good there's some positive and there's some negative in that the positive is that I'm starting a new relationship with this horse and there's not you know we all get baggage from our horses, the, the things in our past that we have to have to move on from, whether 
these one horse has a problem with Piaf or another horse has a problem with canter pirouettes. And here I'm starting this relationship with this horse as a Grand Prix horse that I'd never known before as a younger horse. And I think that's a wonderful opportunity for me to start from scratch on a, on a very nicely trained horse. Um, I feel... I'm lucky to be able to have a horse of this quality. The the one of the things that was a very attractive um, made this horse very attractive to me is that because he's so forward going and wants to do his job, it is a horse that I can ride on my own. I do, I do not live near my trainer. I don't have someone that watches me ride every day or even once a week or even once a month. Sometimes I go many months in between lessons and I, I get most of my help from Ula Salzgeber in Germany and I really felt like this horse I would be able to ride on my own and and be videoed and watch watching my videos and, and helping. I have to be my own trainer as well as while I'm riding the horse and this horse is a good combination for that. Well, I was going to say, you've trained with some great names, Conrad Schugemacher, Ula, of course, and, and Sue Blinks. And how have they kind of shaped you as a trainer? Because you spend a lot of time training. We're here at a, at a clinic in, in Kentucky, one of many you do a year. How do you think all these people have shaped and informed you as a trainer, and, and how would you like to be defined as a trainer now? I would like to... Well, first of all, I... I think all those people, I've learned a tremendous amount also from Lendon Gray and Robert Dover in the earlier years as well, and and Lilo Four. And I think every time a rider trains with someone, whether it's a year or two years or six years, we gain so much out of that, and that, that gives us tools. And... I, you have to, the more horses you train, the more you realize that not every single horse fits into the same cookie mold of the same training system. And sometimes we need to be able to pull out of our back pocket something that is, that's going to help this certain horse. And to be able to work with people who have different strengths I think makes makes a lot of sense to me not that I do not believe that bouncing around from trainer to trainer is a good idea what I've done is I've worked with many people but I've worked with them intensively for long periods of time whether it's six months at a time or something and whether I was in training in Germany at Conrad Schumacher's or Ulla Salzgeber's, those, those places where I was there minimum of four months each time. And working with Sue Blinks, I had a daily training slot through um, a few winters in Florida. And that kind of intensive help is so, so beneficial. And you're very focused on training and education. You're in partnership with Betsy Berry uh, for Dressage Dimensions. Tell us a little bit about that and what your goals are with it, Chris. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with the Dressage Dimensions videos. Uh, we've tried to make our video different. Our, our video is different in that I warm the horses up with a microphone and I talk about what the important new steps are at that level and the new movements. And I ride through these movements and I give examples of a good a good movement, a good example or in a bad example and and what is important for the movements to, to receive high scores. And we train that um, with me riding the horses at, at throughout all the levels and all the tests. And then each test, I go in and ride the test from start to finish, and Betsy Berry scores the test and comments on the test in live it's in live uh, time and right then and there. So I see the I see a lot of progress and a lot of a, a lot of benefits for people who are have a new horse and they're going to get up move up in a level and especially people who are not 
near a trainer or an instructor where they don't get instruction very often. I think it's really important for people to be able to see, even if it's on their TV at home, what a good shoulder in looks like, what a bad half pass looks like, everything down to tempi changes and pirouettes and a canter zigzag. And that's, I start, we start from training level and we go through the FEI and into the Grand Prix and explaining and what how I train things and how I mostly prepare things for the horse show. Um, but it, that's been very, very, I think it's very beneficial. It's, it's even more beneficial for people who are out of, like I said, who are out of, live in the outskirts and perhaps don't have that weekly instructor around to help them. Well, that's terrific, and of course we can put a link to your website on our mm-hmm. website if people want to find more information about that, Chris. So uh, we we want to thank you for spending time with us today. It's been great fun uh, catching up with you. I know you're a very busy man, and we've got a, got some more training to do before you're finished here today. And I hope you'll come back again on the Dressage Radio Show. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much. Well, uh, thanks there to Chris. It was fun. We, we Actually, Lisa, we just sat in my car at, uh, on his lunch break at the clinic to record that. And so, uh, again, Chris, thank you so much for taking time off to, to do that and talk to us here on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, great to hear from you. Well, we're going to take another short break here, Lisa, before we get to our topic of the week. And this is going to be a new segment, and we're going to be talking – a, a, a little training tip here, really, uh, but it's also a topic. We, we're going to have more of a conversation about this and how so many riders out there can relate to how to ride your horse in an uphill way, whether he's uh, he's built for it or not, whether he does it naturally or not, and uh, and to avoid sort of overbending and overflexing. So we're going to take a short break here for our friends at KPP USA, and we'll be right back with that discussion with Lisa. Don't forget your horse this holiday season, and what is more important than your horse's health? Kentucky Performance Products offers you the quality assurance that you are looking for for your horse. Each supplement is manufactured to exacting standards in certified facilities. Their ingredients are sourced from highly reputable suppliers, and their formulas are fixed to ensure consistency in each bucket. When you purchase a supplement from Kentucky Performance Products, you will see the results you expect and the quality you can count on. They guarantee it. Kentucky Performance Products has recently unveiled their newest product called Contribute. Unlike other omega-3 supplements, Contribute contains both plant and marine sources of omega-3 fatty acids. Omega-3 fatty acids support virtually every system in the horse's body, including the immune system, reproductive system, nervous system, bone development, and the cardiovascular system. Contribute offers horse owners, breeders, and trainers an affordable way to provide beneficial omega-3 fatty acids. Is recommended for young horses, horses in training, stallions, broodmares, and seniors. Learn more and about Contribute and all the products at kppusa.com. That's Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Well, again, thanks to our sponsors, KPP USA, and also to Karen Isberg over there in Versailles, Kentucky, who is a great supporter of our shows. Well, Lisa, I mentioned just now, you know, whether you've got a horse that is naturally inclined through its own confirmation to ride uphill or not, it's a major issue, isn't it, with a lot of riders? Because a horse can go from being uphill to riding downhill if the rider is not in the right place. And and you get into an overbending or overflexing situation. And I put a... Um, a notice up on our Facebook fan page last week and got a couple of responses when I asked people this. So I thought this would be um, a very interesting topic of discussion between us. So, And the first um, person I w- who, who uh, posted a note on the, on the fan book page uh, was Pamela Burdett, and she says, how do you get a horse, especially a young one, truly in front of your leg, so that he's using his hind end and not just rushing forward on the forehand. Also, how a rider should correctly use leg aids to keep the horse sensitive to them without having to give legs so often that the horse becomes dull to it. So there's 
two questions You've got there. some very good questions here, some excellent questions here. But, you know, with the young horses, as well as the older horses, but especially the young horses, we have to, we have to remember that they are trying to understand our seat and our hand aids and our leg aids. Therefore, we must remember to be very correct and balanced in the saddle. And often what I see are, uh, as a matter of fact, we'll get to this is my actual tip, my training tip for the day or for the week, but they quiet hands. Hands have got to be steady for a horse to want to go to that bit. And often, exactly what you're saying, the overflexing left and right, I think the, when I talk about flexing, I mean from the wither to the pole. When mm-hmm. I talk about bend, I'm talking about the ribcage through the croup. And uh, what we'll see is some noisy hands pulling the horse left, pulling the horse right, and pulling them so far that they're losing their balance. So a horse, the first thing I teach a young horse is to go straight forward to my hand to a quiet hand, and he has to accept the bit in order to take your leg well. So it's actually, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a, a, a devil circle there. You have a noisy hand. He's going to be very not accepting of your leg to push, to be able to drive him up to that rattling bit in his mouth. He doesn't want to go there. So he'll put his head up, ignore your leg and anything and everything but to have to go there. So I think it's a, it's a very important. There are so many points to this equation that we're talking about. But for me, it's the rider's seat has to be balanced. A rider has to be able to sit in that saddle or rise in that saddle on their own accord. And there are too many riders out there using the face of the horse to balance themselves on. They so, don't learn. They don't learn the. The, the essential independent seat, Lisa, is that that's what you're saying? That's my yeah. point. And when I see these young horses are already suffering with balance issues. So that's when, that's why I say a rider that works with young horses has to have exceptional balance to make up for the balance issues or to help the balance issues of young horses. We have well, I, to iron those out by just maintaining our core, not flopping around, not using their face to hold on to, and they're going to sit on our hands for a little bit to find the balance step, steps at a time. And if you're just very quiet and very patient and your hand is quiet, they'll settle into that bridle, find their balance, and then they're moseying right on. And I make sure that I ride lines that are big and smooth and easy for a young horse to navigate and definitely without jerking left or jerking right in this flexing program that you see a lot of. So it's, it's very, very much, I remember writing these articles for dressage uh, today and these things were often issues that I would, I would have to see in a picture and I could tell certain things, but they were, it was very much the seat of the rider that I criticized in order to help a horse understand better the aids, if it be your hand or your leg or your seat. But Lisa, you know, what often one sees is there's a a horse that is naturally inclined to be uphill and is in front of you. And I know you've been blessed with some lovely horses that are been uphill type horses so that makes it slightly easier when you're starting with that type of animal but what if you've got a horse that doesn't naturally go there's on his forehand it's a young horse and you've got to bring them up with so often i see riders who put the horse in a frame in a false frame thinking ah that's what the horse should look like instead of riding it to a place of natural balance and bringing their that bringing them up in front because they're riding them from behind they tend to put them in a shape and then you've got a horse going downhill even more how do the yeah. how how would you how would you very simply explain to a rider what what kind of things can they do to change that well you know when i think about the confirmations i approach it differently a little differently 
uh, I work them in the length of the neck. That's okay. how I start the horses. Work them within the length of the neck. Now, if I'm going to try and get the horse over the back in order for him to go come from behind, he's, he's got to come up in his back. Yes. He cannot be running around inverted. So I'll take a look at this confirmation, and if I have a very high croup and very short forelegs or wither, I don't want to ride those horses long and low. I'll balance them. I'll try to keep their neck the same height as their croup in my work. Again, I'm in the length of the neck. When I begin my bending exercises on a circle, spiraling in to get the lateral suppleness and then do transitions eventually while I have them laterally bent on a specific circle size, I'll start to do transitions so I get the longitudinal, which means I get the back to come up. I get the hind end to step under and they're tracking up into the bit. But if I look at a horse that's very uphill, then I am less likely to work him up in the length of the neck. I'll want him reaching down in the long and low position. So I'm very keen about exteriors of horses as far as where I'll place their necks. And again, within the length of their neck, irregardless of how they're shaped, high croup, low croup uphill, downhill, work them within the length of the neck. But how I balance the the neck in my gymnastic exercises completely is dependent upon how their conformation is. Because you don't want to put a downhill horse even further downhill by putting them in a long and low down to the ground. Right. You want to try to help them begin to learn to articulate hips and stifles and hawks so that we can make a folding chair of that high croup. So it begins to learn to sit, and we get the forehand eventually to be the highest point, the wither to be the highest point, the shoulders to come up. But that's a very fragile, delicate work, and that takes a lot of patience. Well, you just mentioned those three parts of the anatomy, the hips, croup, and the hawk, all behind the saddle. How often do you see riders focusing too much on what's happening in front of them and not what's happening behind them? Well, it's called riding the head. (laughs) That's what I call it. (laughs) Riding the head. And they forget that there's this whole body attached to it. And then the motor in the back. Yeah. And, and And this is, I think, where they get into trouble, just pulling and focusing on trying to balance the whole picture with just the head. That's impossible. And Very they're much fiddling, impossible. fiddling with, with, with busy hands to try and put the horse in a place where he's not ready to be put. And if you would just be exactly where he's not ready to be put and especially not supple enough to be put, mm. the, the body, and so you end up holding them into this place and they end up being as stiff as, you know, broomsticks mm-hmm. and the, the movement begins to become limited and it just becomes a downward spiral from then and then of course they get angry and they're stinky and they're frustrated and so then become then we start to see attitude problems. So um and it's I a think, full sense. It's a full sense of how that frame should be, isn't it? That it's in the rider's head. They just just think that's where the horse should be. So, but it's a full and sense. And when of, you look at the picture in the mirror, you've got to consider the whole. Yeah. And something that I, that I tell riders, they've got to ride the middle hand. They have to be conscious of the middle hand, the barrel. That's, that's the area that has to expand and contract in order to get the back to articulate to its full potential. And that's another place where you get the poking and the prodding till the horse blows up to a tight little air balloon and says, there is nothing coming through my ribs, mm-hmm. never. Mm-hmm. And so not only do they close down in the front to the flapping hand that's just jarring the dickens out of that, you know, with the bit in the mouth, then we've got these poking spurs that are, and, and, and she asks, you know, how do I correctly use my legs to keep a horse sensitive? And I see a lot of big spurs on inexperienced lakes, yes. <laughs> poking and prodding until the horse just blows up and closes his barrel down. Yes. I feel nothing type of thing. 
So, which leads me right back to the correct seat and balance. And if you're going to use your leg, come with a flat calf, that means you have to be able to ride with a toe in. There's a reason for that toe in, so that your spur doesn't inadvertently, you know, bang on the horse while you're riding. Most riders don't even realize it. That spur is going ding, ding, ding every time they do a rising trot or something. Yeah, and desensitizing the horse the whole time. Completely. So, yep. Yep. Completely. So, so that's to your so, point, but that's to Pamela's point, you know, about uh, keeping the horse s- sensitive. But Kimberly Brown Edelman, Edelman, Kimberly also writes about the subject of uh, uphill or downhill. She said, touching on the subtopic of horses who are bred to be downhill, more downhill would be useful. Quarter horses come to mind, she says. Now, do you have any experience with that, Lisa? Well, I, I have to say, I'm going to go back to an issue that I wrote um, many years ago for dressage today again. And there was a very downhill. The croup was so high, it was a young lady riding a quarter horse with very, very, very short front legs and a very, very high croup. And I will say to that, that confirmation is going to be impossible to ride uphill. It is meant to be down low, to, and that's where you go. This is a breed-specific thing. Yes. That's, that's a horse that wants to be down low to cut cattle. Exactly, yes. You know, and he yes. has a job to do. So when I, when I see a quarter horse that has that specific confirmation, then I say, you know what? A lot of horses will be good for dressage, a lot of quarter horses would be good for dressage, but when you have that extreme of a confirmation, I I tend to say that challenge is is going to be disheartening because yeah. that horse physically it's is not, just not meant to go that way. Exactly, correct. As much as we'd love to, <laughs> that particular extreme, that's when I bow my hat and say. <laughs> Sir, you're a cutting horse. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <gasps> well, I, you know, this is a very interesting topic. There's other things that have come out of this while we've been talking, Lisa, that would lead us to other topics in the future. Um, but I think, you know, the the message to everyone here from Lisa is, is in order to keep your horse uphill in that uphill uh, stance and not overbend, work on keeping your hands absolutely quiet and still. Yeah, and when when we say over, I would say over flex. Over flex, over. I would say flex. over yes. flex because when you, when I see the necks getting pulled left and right, you have to imagine that horse is losing his balance every time he gets jerked one way or another. So what he does, it's a spread of a leg real fast to catch himself, and he's going to look for your hand to balance him. Sure, he's going to say, "Whoa, I can't, I can't stand on all four like this. I'll use your hand then. Thank you." Yeah. <laughs> hold me up hold me up all right well lots of lessons to be learned there lisa but one thing that's come out of that which i think we should touch on next time you're on is about core strengths in the rider and the rider learning to develop an independent seat from an early early stage in their career whether they whether they start as a child or an adult amateur that's the kind of things they can do to develop an independent seat. So maybe that should be our topic next week. The core muscles. Would love to touch on that, and I that because that's my that's my life there. The the core, and I always compare it to that of a ballerina. You see how graceful yep. a ballerina works. Yes, yes. And how quiet her core is. Yes. And how beautiful every jump is because her core is so steady. And when I have my clients ride, I said, you need to sit there like a ballerina. Nothing above the saddle moves. Right. There's no cantering with your upper body. There's no up and down with your hands in the rising trot. There's no up and down with your hands in the sitting trot. Everything above the saddle is silent. It's still. a bit like uh, synchronized swimming. Then everything above the water should just be graceful and effortless. But underneath the water, you're working like you're, hell. <laughs> yeah, that's why I say the legs can bingo bongo, but nothing moves above the saddle. <laughs> so, and that, 
Uh, that Lisa. is tough to do because you talk about getting the burn in your abs and your back muscles and shoulder muscles, and that's why most of my riders go to Pilates yep. because they only have one or two horses to ride a day. And Pilates class, yoga, yoga classes, anything for core and elasticity. All right. Well, we're going to talk more in detail about Love this that. The next time. Next time Love around, that Lisa. topic. All right. Great. Well, and I'm going to reflect on some of the things that I used to do way back in my day, too, to get an independent seat. And they were fun. There were some fun exercises yeah. you can do. <laughs> Lunch right. lessons. Yeah. Yep. Okay. There you go. Great. Well, thanks so much for that, uh, Lisa. And that incorporates your tip for the week about keeping hands still. Um, I want to remind everybody that uh, you can go to our fan book page, page there um, and comment on our tips and I'm going to post a mention on there too about what we're, we'll be talking about when Lisa is on the show in a couple of weeks time but uh, before that Lisa we're going to come to the end of this week's show and you're going right. to uh, present our uh, show notes to remind everybody how they can reach us so over to you righty. you can follow our show notes at www.dressageradio.com and we'd love your feedback. Leave us a voicemail at 270-803-0025 or email any comments or questions like the last ones we heard. There's no dumb question. They're all, there's so much information to be had. To, uh, so mail your comments or questions to myself or Chris at chris at horseradionetwork.com. The Dressage Radio Show has a fan page on Facebook, and there's a link to the page on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, at Horse Radio, and Chris at Chris E. Stafford. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life and Kentucky Performance Products, at kppusa.com. Well, thank you, Lisa. I'm always grateful to our sponsors, of course, that make this show possible. And thank you to Lisa for joining us again this week. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I, I'm enjoying our topical conversations, and I hope uh, people are, are learning something from this. As, uh, as you say, there's lots to learn in this sport. There's just never any shortage. It's a, it's a constant uphill, isn't it, when it comes to lear- the learning curve in, uh, in dressage? It sure is, and, and I, have, I enjoy myself. I'm always learning something. I love our guests, love to hear what they have to say, love to hear what's going on, and... And so uh, I, uh, I'm on a learning curve on this show. So. <laughs> well, good. You're becoming quite the co-host, Lisa. Love having you on the show. And uh, you're going to be back in a couple of weeks' time. Yes, I will. And I'm looking forward to it. And in the meantime, I'd like to thank you for listening and enjoy your riding.